This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. You're listening to AM630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producers. Hey, tonight uh, I'm going to be teaching not out of Second Kings. I'm going to be actually teaching out of Second Chronicles uh, tonight. I'm going to do a special uh, about one of the godliest men in the Old Testament that you'll find, a man named Jehoiada. Uh, and I'm going to get it from God's perspective tonight. That's why we're going to flip to Second Chronicles. It's just sort of a break between uh, chapters 12 and 13. Just for the privilege of looking in depth at the life of this godly man. So that's tonight. And then, of course, tomorrow is the Date Day show with Paula. She'll be live in studio. And... Um, All you need to do, if you need any encouragement, you've got any questions for Paula, she will be here tomorrow. Okay, let's get to some questions. Now, normally I take the questions in order that they get here, but this one was subject sensitive, so I jumped it to the front of the line. It was waiting for me this morning. It's from Albert. And he says, simply, uh, interested in your take on the elections yesterday. Now, Albert, you know, I I don't know who you are, so I'm saying you know generally, but uh, this is not a political program. So uh, I'm going to be brief, but at the same time, I I don't like dodging any questions, so I'll just tell you what I think. Um, I got to tell you, my heart was sad. Now, I don't put a lot of stake in in one party is the savior, the other party is the devil, that kind of thing. I don't do that. Um, but but here's what made me sad as a as a logical thinking person. Um, to see the mess that our country is in, to see the directions that we've taken. As a pastor, I deal with a lot of people who are really hurting now because the economy's in such bad shape, and Americans voted to keep the status quo. 
And actually, it won't be the status quo because the more you print money, and I'm using that figuratively, um, the, the worse the economy is going to be. It was just an amazing thing to me that with all of the acknowledged pain that people are in, with the situation with crime, especially in the big cities, the inner cities uh, in our country, they voted overwhelmingly um, for the status quo, and the status quo is dangerous. People are dying. And it's just an amazing thing to consider that with the opportunity to change, now maybe they didn't have confidence in the other side, and I understand that. But why would anybody vote for the status quo? And that's exactly what happened yesterday. It's not what I think anybody expected. Um, But I want to remind you, Albert, and everybody else listening to the program, that um, politics isn't going to save us. Our kingdom is not of this world, and it doesn't matter who is in political office. The world apart from Jesus is perishing. Now, it can be a little more comfortable, can be a little safer, certainly a little more secure with a functioning economy. I get that. But the reality is that, that ostensibly clear-thinking people voted to keep things as they are instead of change. And it's really heartbreaking. I was talking with Paula this morning just briefly. We, we don't talk about this kind of stuff typically, but I just said, you know, it, it's it's an amazing thing to think that if the world is, if you cast a vote yesterday for the same thing, where's your hope, especially for those people who aren't Christians? Where's your hope? And basically the world is unchanged today. Our world in the United States is unchanged today. And we had an opportunity to make some change. So good, bad, or indifferent, we need something to change for sure. So, Albert, I hope that helps you. Michael asks the question. Well, let me see. i got a phone call first. I'll take those first. Uh, we've got Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jimmy. I didn't vote at all. And I don't think I ever want to vote anymore. Because the world is guided so hatred. People hate each other and criticize each other. All I really want to do is just focus on the Word of God and Jesus Christ. Which speaks the truth. Well, I appreciate your focus. I appreciate your focus on the Word, obviously, Jimmy, but one of the things that we've got to consider, and, and since I know you and you know my heart, I, I, this won't, isn't to be taken offensively, but but maybe that's the problem. Maybe a lot of people didn't vote because we're so fed up with the political system that we have, uh, and we missed an, we missed an opportunity for some change. I think as as responsible citizens, we should participate in our republic uh, and the way we can do that, the way we can have a voice is to vote. And I, I personally think, and Jimmy, I'm not going to tell you it's a sin not to vote, but but I'm going to tell you that, that I think when we don't participate, um, not only do we have um, no right at all to complain, uh, but I think we're complicit in keeping the status quo. And I think it's just a hard thing. And again, believe me, I understand um, the the distrust of the system. I understand um, how ugly the polarization is between people. I even understand, Jimmy, that 
there's a lot of Christians who, during times like this, will speak ill. Uh, sinfully, they will speak ill of people, even other Christians who don't agree with them. And we had an opportunity yesterday to cast a vote, and um, and many people chose not to. And the people that did vote obviously voted for no change. And as I said at the opening, that was pretty difficult. Jim, do you have anything else in your heart today? No, I just I just want to focus on the Lord. That's it. Okay. Thank you for the call, Jimmy. God bless you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is uh, a question from Michael. He said, Pastor, what are your favorite New Testament commentaries? Um, Michael, my favorite by far uh, is the New International Commentary Series. Um, It is wonderful. It's different authors. F.F. Bruce was the general editor of it. Um, and it is both scholarly and practical, and I, I just haven't found anything that even comes close to it. So the New International Commentary Series, I now believe they also have one on the Old Testament, um, but um, uh, I'm not as familiar with that. But the uh, New International Commentary Series with F.F. F. Bruce as the uh, general editor is by far my favorite. Now, there's a whole bunch of other great commentaries and commentators. Uh, Michael F.F. Bruce has done the Book of Acts. He's done uh, Romans. Um, um, There's just so many good ones. I like G. Campbell Morgan. Um, Gosh, there's just too many to even think of at the time. But but without question, uh, my favorite, and you can get it in one volume, um, and that, I mean, it comes in different books, but it's it's just one commentary series. It's a new international commentary series. So you will enjoy that, Michael, I promise you. Here's a question from Tim. He says, Pastor Ron, I think you are sometimes too hard on Catholics. They believe in Jesus, and, and in parentheses, they wrote family members of mine, but they just approach it differently. But see, Tim, that's the problem. That's the problem. Of course they believe. They've got the same Jesus, the same Father. They've got the same Holy Spirit. But you see, we don't, we're not given the choice to approach it differently. We've got to take the Bible for what it says. The Bible needs to be authoritative. And I can tell you with an unequivocal belief that Catholics do not accept the Bible as the authority for life and practice. If they did, they wouldn't be Catholics. I also think, as I've said many times, Tim, and I'm not bashing Catholics here, you must be born again in Catholic Church. doesn't teach that you need to be born again. They, they traditionally believe that infant baptism deals with the problem of original sin. And once you're dipped, you're in. And, and obviously that's not true. That's heresy. And so there's just a lot of doctrinal problems. And, you know, Tim, what we need to, to really desire for our family members, you're the one who inserted family members, is that they really are born again. So why don't you just ask them? Not if they believe in Jesus. Of course they do. But have you been born again? And then open John chapter 3, verses 5 and 7, and, and explain to them that here Jesus is talking to the most religious man in Israel at this point. And he says, you of all people shouldn't be surprised that you must be born again. I say to you, you must be born again. 
or you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. And Tim, it's it's not a time in these last days. It's not a time to play nice or to keep the peace. Uh, you want him in heaven. And again, we don't get the privilege to, to make a choice. Well, I, I believe differently, so I'm going to do this differently. We don't get the choice. Jesus has given us the way to come to him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Being a Catholic, going to church, um, practicing the religious rituals and traditions, none of that saves you. Being a good person doesn't save you. Being born again. And in order to be born again, you've got to recognize that you're lost. And I just don't think that's the regular condition of people in the Catholic Church. Again, I know there are some who are born-again Christians, and why they stay in the Catholic Church, I'll never understand, but that's between them and the Lord. But I can also say with certainty that they are few and far between as a percent of the whole. So I hope that's clear, understood, And my heart for those people, because they are so close to the kingdom of God, is that they would get saved. There's no value in being close. You must be born again. Greg says, I've called the program before, and now I'm wondering about your view of churches who use professional musicians for worship who are not saved. Greg, I think that is an absolute abomination. How can you worship God using um, unsanctified vessels? It's that simple. I know we've got an idea that all it has to do is be good, and if you've got a really great band or if you've got a really great orchestra, uh, then people will come. Um, but you're profaning the name of God. I mean, listen to the lyrics of the songs. Now, if you've got a worship team where people aren't saved and you're paying them to do the worship, then everything that they're saying is a lie. How can God bless that? Now, Greg, this was a pretty big deal. I don't know, 15 years ago, this was going around because the emphasis was, if you want your church to grow, you got to have a, a rock and worship band. Believe me, if you've got unsaved musicians leading worship, uh, you can sense, you know there's something missing. You can say, oh yeah, the quality of the music is great. Uh, but the reality is there's there's an emptiness, a hollowness to it. And um, I, I, it's, it's, I, I can't imagine God's response to that, Greg. So thank you for sending the question in. Uh, but that's something that never even should be a, 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 something we'd have to wonder about. How could we ever explain to Jesus that we just wanted to be good and not genuine? I think that's a lot of what's wrong with the modern church these days. Rhonda asks, if a Christian converts to Judaism, what is their condition spiritually? Um, Well, if they convert to Judaism, they're not saved. They're lost. And I would also add, Rhonda, that um, they probably were never Christians. I mean, they weren't Christians in the first place. I mean, that's really what the, the Paul's letters to uh, the Galatians and to the uh, Colossians uh, deals with, uh, especially Galatians. I mean, um, what began the Spirit are you going to finish in the flesh? 
Um, nobody's forgiven by by having the law um, or or doing traditional feasts or festivals. Um, how can a Christian convert to anything when you've got that which is perfect? And when Paul is writing to the Hebrews, um, that's that's really a part of the thing. He said, where are you going to go? I mean, if you've tasted the Holy Spirit, and that doesn't mean they're saved, but, but if you tasted the Holy Spirit and, and you desert him, where else would you turn? What are you going to do now for sins? You know that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So what are you going to do now with sins? You can't, there's no sacrifices. And basically, Paul says, you're, you're just lost. And he, he spends a great deal of the book of Hebrews warning um, those people about the very same thing. So, um, Ron, a Christian simply cannot convert to Judaism and say, oh, I was a Christian once. You might have said you're part of a church or maybe you grew up in church, but you never asked Jesus into your heart because the Holy Spirit simply wouldn't permit you to make that conversion if you really belong to God. I don't know why, Rhonda, it is, there seems to be a resurgence. Maybe it's just because more people are coming to our church. But there seems to be a, resur- a resurgence in, in um, Jews uh, or, or actually practicing Jews who will explain, well, I'm not really Jewish by birth, but I, I, I'm a Messianic Gentile or I'm a Messianic Christian. And say, wait a minute, you were never Jewish. Well, I know, but I had to get close to my Jewish roots. A Gentile has no Jewish roots. As Christians, our church has roots. Jesus talks about that. We're the the unnatural branches grafted into the vine. But there's no possibility of us finding Jesus or getting closer to Jesus in a covenant that's already been canceled. And that's what the law has happened to her. What's happened to the law? The law, the old covenant, has been canceled. It's been fulfilled by Jesus. Doesn't mean it was bad. Just he fulfilled it. He lived without sin. But now there's a new covenant in place. And and uh, I, there's there's no logical application for this. There's, there's no biblical um, uh, justification for getting close to Jewish roots or or becoming a good Jew. I've had people tell me that. Uh, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You know, it's interesting. The first century church for a very long time was entirely Jewish. But they didn't, they, they didn't become Messianic Jews. They became Christians. They're the ones who wrote our Bible. And so, Rhonda, if a Christian converts to Judaism, he or she is lost and we're never saved. Thank you for the question. Lauren asks, how could Lot have sex? I'm sorry. How could Lot have had sex with his daughters? Why didn't God judge him for it? Lauren, you need to read carefully. He he didn't know what was going on. His daughters had sex with him. You know, after Sodom and Gomorrah, um, they, they didn't. They wanted a family. They wanted children, and uh, Dad was the only one around. They got him drunk. He was not aware of what was happening. So it was the daughters. And why does God? allow any sin that we do. He does it because he's patient. He's unwilling that any should perish. But um, um, Lot certainly wasn't a godly man, although we know that he was righteous by faith. 
Um, but, but you know, you can't blame Lot for the, the actions of his daughters who got him drunk. And as he passed out, they wanted to ensure that uh, they would have children. They would have families. Their husbands, his sons-in-law, um, were destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment. So, um, Lauren, read carefully. Uh, it is disgusting. Um, but remember, Lot raised those girls in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he didn't set a godly example for them as they lived their lives. In fact, the only way we know he was a righteous man, I mentioned that a moment ago, was because Peter tells us righteous Lot was vexed in his spirit by all the filth around him. So he lost his influence over his daughters. His daughters turned out to have more Sodom and Gomorrah in them than they had a relationship with God in them. Okay, Vance says, can you talk about Paul's references to being clothed with Christ or hidden in him, please? Um, Vance, yeah, this is one of my favorite uh, uh, topical Bible studies. I love the fact that Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, clothe yourselves in holiness, clothe yourselves in righteousness. And when we do that, people will see Christ rather than seeing us. Now think about this for a moment, Vance. If you walked around uh, and were talking to people, would you want them to see you? Or would you want them to see Christ in you? And that's why we walk with joy. I always say, just be with Jesus. That's why we, we walk with Jesus. In his presence is the fullness of joy. We don't want people to see us. We don't want people to, to, to look at us and say, well, I don't want to be like those Christians. What we want people to see is Christ. And remember that every day we're supposed to be being transformed more and more into his likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul um, makes those references, he's simply saying, throw away the old clothes and put on the new clothes. The old clothes are what? Sexual immorality, foul language, and and, and just other sinful behavior. We're all familiar with those uh, old clothes references in our lives based on our, our testimonies. But then we get a brand new set of clothes, a fine white linen of the saints. We, we have the opportunity to... Um, Look more and more like Jesus every day. And that's what Paul is talking about. So take off the old clothes, put on the new clothes. You know, Vance, one of the things I used to do in business before I was a Christian, um, I, I had an understanding of this. You know, um, you can give bonuses. We, I was in the automobile business. I'd give my people bonuses for, for um, sales objectives and things like that. But I learned really early that the best thing I could do for for me, it wasn't the best thing maybe for them, but I was only worried about me then, was um, buy them a new suit. You know, you put on a brand new suit and you feel like a million dollars. And when you feel like a million dollars, you often act like a million dollars. And so I'd get them new suits. And they would just feel so good. They would be so grateful. I got a lot of mileage. Well, the reality is that when we look good, Things go well. That's the way of the world. Now, in Christ, when we look like Jesus, believe me, the blessings of God follow continually. So that's what he's talking about. Take off the old junk for Christians that use foul language, Christians that drink, Christians that 
smoke marijuana, Christians that look at pornography, Christians that are, are angry and lose their tempers, Christians that won't forgive. Um, that's the old clothing, and it stinks, and it's raunchy. So what Paul is saying is, how about a whole new set of clothes? And that sounds pretty good. And you look better. You're closer to Jesus. Well, our clothes, as I said, are the righteous clothes of the of the of the saints. Um, and that's what Paul is talking about. So thanks for the question, Vance. Henry says, I hear Jesus. I'm sorry. I, my eyes are not focusing well. I hear preachers say Jesus is coming soon, but he hasn't come yet. Why don't they just be honest about it? Well, Henry, he is coming soon, but soon isn't the, the same. The biblical soon is not the same as your soon or my soon. My soon is, okay, Lord, before dinner. Um, biblical soon means suddenly, without warning. And when he comes, it'll be in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And nobody will have time to make any last-second adjustments. Okay, Lord, I, I, I believe, I receive you. Nobody's going to have the time to do that. So he's coming soon. And the imminent return of Jesus Christ is a really, really important doctrine, important insofar as it affects the way we live, the choices that we make every single day. So I say Jesus is coming soon all the time. I would add to that that we're in the very last of the last days and Jesus is going to come and we're supposed to be ready for it. That's as honest as I can be. Henry, maybe you're the one not being honest. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585. A reminder, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of our show. And um, that's uh, tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Here's a question from Jeremy from our email inbox. And Jeremy, you, we just got the question, and um, I'm going to be very direct, okay? He says, Christians seem so concerned about abortion. Why don't they do more for orphans and children in need? I feel like the church has failed in this area. So many children need good parents, but I don't see the church doing more to help in this area. Don't orphans and little ones in need require just as much attention? Jeremy, that is one of the most dishonest questions that I've ever received on this program. You're right. Christians are concerned about abortion. Why? Because it's murder. Are you not concerned about murder? It's murder. 65 million babies have been murdered since Roe v. Wade in 1973. 65 million. How many wonderful parents would have been in that group? How many doctors? How many scientists? How many professional athletes or actors? We'll never know because those people are dead. They were murdered. Of course we're concerned about abortion. And if you're not, it's clear that you're not a believer. 
How can you not be concerned about murder? The dishonest part of your question, you say, why don't they do more for orphans and children in need? You have no idea what we do. How about you get saved? How about you join a church and see what they're doing? I don't know a church that doesn't have an adoption ministry or ministries, many ministries to help children in need. Our church, we're not one of these huge mega churches, and we've got adoption ministries. Adoption for kids in foster care. Of course they need, of course they, they need help and attention. But the church has done more, and I say the church in general, the true church of Jesus Christ has done more for orphans, has done more for um, um, the, the cause for adoption than any other group in the world. And you are being dishonest about that. Of course children need good parents, but we're not responsible. The, the people in the church, we're not responsible when people um, have sex and have a child. There's a resp- grown-up responsibility. When we decide to be sexual, we, we need to accept the responsibility that comes along with it. I wish every parent was a good parent, but they're not. And the reality is because of sin, Jeremy, there's always going to be kids who are abused, kids who are forgotten. There's going to be adults who are abused and adults who are forgotten as well. Because of sin. Now, Jeremy, let me ask you this. What are you going to do about your sin? It's easy to point fingers at other people. What about your sin? How are you going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and explain the sin that you refuse to repent of? What if God were to stand before you right now and say, Jeremy, you don't care about the murder of the innocent and the helpless? How would you answer what do you, if he asked you, Jeremy, I know you've lied and those sins have not been forgiven. What are you going to say? You're going to say, well, I tried to be a good person. You're not going to have that opportunity, Jeremy. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. So you need to look at your own heart, Jeremy. 65 million people have been murdered legally in this country since 1973. And now because we have a Supreme Court that finally had enough courage to stand up and say murdering children is wrong. Actually, they didn't say that. They just delivered the the choice to the states, which is constitutionally what ought to be done to states that determine, not the federal government, it's the states that determine the laws of that state. And so they didn't end abortion. They just simply shipped it out to the states. And and there are states that say, no, we're not going to kill children any longer. And everybody who's protesting, my body, my choice, stay out of my private parts, women will say. They'll use different terms. They're spending a lot of energy trying to justify the murder of children, the, the murder of innocent children. So, Jeremy, it's impossible to have Jesus Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit, in you, 
and not understand that it is as simple as it can be. And then you also need to repent for judging the church that has done more for orphans and children in need than probably anybody. If you'd like, Jeremy, I'll invite you to come by and stop and talk to me. I won't say it over the air, but I'll tell you what we're doing in our church for children in need. Not just children, but their families as well. So I have enough courage to come. I'd love to share Jesus with you, Jeremy. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Iris. I know you don't believe Christians can be demon-possessed, but many other pastors do. How else can you explain some of the behavior of Christians? Well, you know, demon possession is different than demon oppression. Of course, we're, we're oppressed by demons, but demons aren't in control. If you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, Iris, then um, he's not going to share his space. Uh, he's not going to surrender control to any other force, especially something that is so blatantly evil. Christians cannot be demon-possessed. He who is in us is greater than he who is he in the world, First John 4. It doesn't say than the other he in this world. The Holy Spirit, when he comes in you, he cleans you out, and he lives there. Now, we can quench the Holy Spirit, we can do some things, but, but Christians simply cannot be demon-possessed. It is impossible That's why Jesus and the other people in the book of Acts, they had to cast demons out before people got saved because the Holy Spirit can't share that space. So the demons were ordered to go and the Holy Spirit came in and people got saved. Now, how do I explain some of the behavior of Christians? Our flesh is ugly, Iris. Ugly. And in my flesh is no good thing, Paul writes. So clearly, when we're operating in the flesh, we're quenching both the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the result, the result then, is that um, we're acting just like we did before we were our, before we got saved. And if we do that, then we're going to do all the we're capable of doing all the horrible things that we ever did before. So, if you have a theology that says demons can possess Christians, born-again believers. That's heresy, and you need to correct it. And the fact that other pastors believe that, you'll look at those churches, Iris, and they're all crazy, charismatic, out-of-balance churches. What always confuses me is why people accept that when the Bible is really clear. And yet I... I'm confused, but I understand why. Because if I can blame a demon for my sin, I don't have to take personal responsibility for it. So, Iris, doesn't matter what I believe. What what matters is what the Bible says. And Christians cannot be demon-possessed, period. Here's a question from Nancy. I know everyone is going to die, but don't you think that Jesus will give us a second chance to go to heaven if we're willing to repent? Nancy, Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. Period. No second chance. 
Just once. Every day is a second chance. Every day you're alive, Nancy. Every day that you can can breathe, you have a chance to say, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry. And it's just like our human condition, our fallen human condition, to expect that, well, every day we had a chance, but, but God, we still need chances beyond that. So I want to live the way I want to live, but I still want to believe that I'm going to get a second chance. You're not going to get a second chance. Nancy, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, before we came to Texas, Paul and I, we had a neighbor who was uh, a really good guy. And he was a, a, um, a manager at a local grocery store. And uh, he actually became a big news story because he was held uh, at gunpoint. Somebody sort of uh, duct taped a shotgun to his head. And, and the guy that, that was committing the robbery was trying to negotiate with the police using, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him if you don't get me out of here. And um, um, I didn't even realize it was him. Next day, when it all came out in the news, in the news, um, I went over to talk to him. Now, I've been sharing Jesus with this guy for a long time, and again, he's a really, really nice guy, married to a really nice young girl. And and I, I said to him, um, I said, you know, when that shotgun was duct taped to your head, and you knew that guy's fingers were on the trigger. Did you even for a moment think, well, what's going to happen to me if he pulls that trigger? And he looked at me and said, Ron, that's all I thought about. And I said, well, then you must be ready to give your life to Jesus Christ now. And you know what he said to me, Nancy? He said, well, I don't know. I, I just have to believe I'm going to get a second chance. I think the fact that he got away that night with a shotgun duct taped to his head, that was a pretty good second chance. That was God sending him a pretty big warning. It's time to make a decision. But he just was so hopeful that he could live any way he wanted to live. And God would give him another chance. It's simply not going to happen. It appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. No second chances, Nancy. Robert says, My wife and I are separated, and honestly, I'm much more at peace. She wants to reconcile, but I don't. I feel closer to God without the aggravation she causes. You know, Robert, when people say something like this, uh, and I don't know what the grounds for for your divorce um, or your separation are. Uh, If she wasn't unfaithful to you, if she wasn't abusing you, um, physically abusing you, the enemy will sometimes take his hand off people. They can make a decision. They can do something that is contrary to the will of God. And the devil is going to sort of back off and let them think that this is the best choice they ever made. I can't tell you how many times over my 27 and a half years here at Calvary Chapel that somebody's come to me and said, you know, I know God didn't want me to divorce. I know you said not to divorce, but I just couldn't take any more. And now I'm happier and closer to Jesus than I've ever been. And I said, that is a lie from the pit of hell. You might be happy, you might be at peace, but you're not close to Jesus because you can't be close to Jesus when you're being disobedient to Jesus. And so, Robert, the pain in your life has just begun. God wants you to reconcile. Again, I don't know the specifics, and there may be some things that, that I would say, you know, don't go back, wait. But, but if adultery or physical abuse is not in the picture then God would want you to reconcile. 
And I think the the key here is your last sentence, you feel closer to God without the aggravation she causes. You're not thinking about her. You're not thinking about her soul. You're thinking about you. And every time you're thinking about you, believe me, you're not close to Jesus. And so you're not as close as you think. And at some point, there are going to be the consequences and you're going to regret not being obedient to the Lord. So Robert... Rethink. Manny says, can you help me develop patience? <laughs> you know, Manny, uh, uh, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so yeah, I can say get get filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit instead of in the flesh. But, but understand that you have the power. Again, presuming you're a born-again Christian, you have the power in you that raised Christ from the dead. Don't you think the power of the Holy Spirit can help you develop patience? But first, you've got to confess that it's a sin. You seem to be close with your question. But then you've got to say, Lord, I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to misrepresent you. I hate it when I'm like that. So forgive me, God, and empower me. And next time you start to become impatient, Manny, um, the Holy Spirit will be there for you. But as long as you keep rationalizing that it's okay to be impatient, I get this a lot with angry. Well, people say, I'm just angry. Can't help it the way I've always been. Yeah, but we're supposed to be more like Jesus. So, Manny, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 forward, just to the, the fruit of the Spirit. And then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4. And find out what love really is. And you're going to find that you don't measure up very well if you're impatient. And this is a time for you to deal with the Lord. Do you really not believe that the power of God, the Spirit in you, is stronger than you are? Do you not have enough faith to believe that you're more more than a conqueror through him who loved you? If you don't believe that, then you're fighting a losing battle. But here's a place where you say, God, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. It's a place where you get in your word. Do you hate your impatience enough to get into your Bible and let the Lord transform you, give you new thinking about things? Very important questions to ask and answer honestly, Manny, because believe me, God is going to help you with your patience if you don't offer it to him as a sacrifice first. Patience is a wonderful thing, but sometimes if we leave it to God, then he has to take us through some really difficult stuff in order to teach us. God was patient with you, Jesus would ask you, how can you not be patient with somebody else? As patient as I was with you. So I find that walking with Jesus goes a long way to helping us all be patient, Manny. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Oliver. Is it okay to let our kids play video games, especially the violent ones? Um, 
Oliver, I'm not an, an absolutist in this sense that it's it's I, I probably in this day and age and don't think that we should prevent our kids from playing video games altogether. Uh, they would be better off if they didn't play any video games, but I'm, I'm a pragmatist. We live in this world. But why would we ever let our children play violent video games? Or video games that dishonored God? Or video games that had um, either wanton violence or sexuality in them? Why would we let our kids do that? And more than that, Oliver, why would we let them spend hours and hours and hours doing this? Like anything, these sorts of games, uh, other other things that your kids do for fun, they need to be supervised by mom and dad. So no, it's not okay to let your kids play video games all day long. Um, but if you're going to let them, supervise them. Give them limits and make sure that you... Uh, you adhere to those limits. Otherwise, it, they will mean nothing. But never should we allow our kids to play violent video games. I understand that those are the popular ones. Now, I'm not a video gamer. Um, my video game experience, what was the name of the, the little things eat the big things? Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Uh, I, I've played Pac-Man a couple times in my life. And um, back in the, the very, very beginning days of video games, uh, we played Pong um, in our house a little bit. Uh, but honestly, I've never been a gamer. It, the, the fascination of video games just wasn't there. Uh, again, I realize the world that we live in is different. Your kids grow up with screens, and they're playing games with their friends. Um, but you know what? These kids that that aren't made to open a Bible by their parents who are allowed to play video games with their friends online. My goodness. What's mom and dad thinking in a case like that, Oliver? So priorities, moderation, supervision, all of that's really, really important. Hope that makes sense. Here is an anonymous question. Oh, a heartbreaking one. He or she says, I trust God, but how do I deal with bad decisions my adult kids are making? Um, You know, Anonymous, you've got to trust that the Lord loves them more than you do. And then your responsibility is to rightly represent Jesus, meaning that you don't make it easier for your children to make bad decisions. You make them deal with the consequences of those bad decisions. You know, when kids start making adult decisions then it's time for them to experience adult consequences. And then as parents, it's our job to stay out of God's way. So what we can do is two things. One, we can make sure that our walk with Jesus is authentic. We can make sure that your kids know that your Jesus is real, that there's joy in your heart, even when your heart is breaking. They can see the the consistency, the, the vibrancy of your walk with the Lord. That's very important. And then the the next thing that we can do is let them know that if you make this choice, first of all, if they're living at your home, you can't let them live at your home and live in willful sin or rebellion against God. If they live in your home, they need to come to church. Uh, They don't get a vote as long as they're living under your your roof. Um, But when consequences come, whether it's the police, whether it's pregnancy, whether it's uh, drug use or abuse, 
um, you got to let them learn to walk on their own. And I'm going to tell you, Anonymous, in order to do that, your heart is going to be broken over and over and over. And these situations are what drives moms and dads to their knees. But you can't get in God's way. You can't get them off. I, I know parents who have had their children uh, repeatedly be arrested for drunk driving, and they keep bailing them out. They keep paying for attorney's fees. What in the world are parents thinking? I've even known Christian parents, so-called Christian parents, who've provided money for abortions when daughter got pregnant. How do we do that and claim to be Christians? We don't want to rock the boat. We think, well, I'll just make it easier for them here so they won't go out and get in trouble. Our job is to teach them how to be adults in this world and to show them that Jesus is the only way to navigate this world. And Anonymous, we can't do that if we're if we're interfering in the consequence process. I've had a lot of conversations with young men and women who are going to jail. They're there now, but I mean, when they were going. And those conversations where if you're going to go to jail, you better take Jesus with you. It's the only way you're going to survive. And some of them have taken that counsel and repented. And God's been able to use them even in jail. Other kids, you know, give me lip service because they know me and I've known them their whole lives. But the reality is their hearts are so hard and you got to let God deal with the hard hearts. He's the only one that can. So my heart goes out to you, um, but, but let your adult kids deal with their consequences on their own. Don't interfere don't get in the way of the work God wants to do. And in order to do that, you got to have enough faith in God, faith that he loves them more than you do. That does not mean that they're going to repent, they're going to get saved. It doesn't mean um, anything other than God will be able to use your example to work with them and for them. Sorry for your pain. Last question today. Uh, I've got to get a quick one here. How do you, Billy says, how would you respond to someone who says Christianity is just a means of controlling people? I would say, Billy, we need to be controlled, so I'm okay with that. Um, then I would take the opportunity to explain that this is the kind of control um, that love exhibits. And the only way we can do it is with Jesus Christ. So that's how to respond. Look at their behavior. If this is somebody that you know, just say, you know, I know you. You could use some control in your life. His name is Jesus Christ. Billy, thanks for the question. Hey, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of Second Chronicles chapter 23 and a little touch in 24. Um, Jehoiada, a life of a godly man. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.